is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Charlie H. Ray, and we cover a little bit of everything from his creation of Never Be King to his working relationship with the co-creator Sam Columbus, all the way through getting unstuck, work ethic, Rayco musicals, the formation of his company, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Charlie H. Ray. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Charlie H. Ray. Charlie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Clay. We are coming up this fall, I want to say, coming up on like eight years of knowing each other. That's yeah. when we first met at a studio that is now defunct mm-hmm. in the city. I don't That's know right. where, That's right. where the time freaking goes. But I do want to talk about um, performing writing. I want to talk about Rayco musicals. Of course, Never Be King, which you can stream Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Google it. It's online, <laughs> socials everywhere. That's right. Um, and so much more. But before we get to any of that, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I tell people all the time that I, I didn't even really understand that entertainment was a way to make a living at first. I was actually working alongside like equity actors as a child before I understood that they were even getting paid. I literally just thought it was something that people, you know, saved up a lot of money and cleared their schedules and then showed up to do for free. Um, so my my entertainment dreams were actually very humble. I just wanted to be able to be a part of it in any capacity. Um, and then I, as I got a touch older, I started to learn that you could actually monetize it and uh, make a, a dream a career. So very, very humble entertainment dreams. And I would say a uh, one way or another, that means I'm I'm living that dream and fulfilling it somehow right now. Not to say I've I've achieved the last the last dream I've ever had, but I'm certainly uh, making my younger self very happy. Was there a defining moment for you when you decided to go, you know, full in, and you're like, "This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be in the entertainment. I'm gonna do theater. I'm gonna." Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I also have a, a pretty tacky quote from my upbringing when I was like eight or nine. When I was, people would ask me like, "What I want to be when I grow up?" and there was a time I I wanted to be an architect at first, and some days I wake up and I still do want to be an architect, honestly. But um, I remember saying to my parents, um, I said I don't want a normal job, I want a fun job, and I think I was like eight years old, and um, from then I really did sort of commit. I didn't really know. I didn't know how it was going to manifest inside of theater, but I knew that I wanted something on my feet um, and creative and active. Um, And then I sort of started, I started doing school plays. And then as soon as I uh, figured out that I, there was a home for me, there was space for me in there. um, It was pretty full throttle. I was prepping for that college audition at the age of 11 or 12. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Born to perform. Uh, (laughs) What did your parents teach you about work ethic? Yeah, my parents taught me lots about work ethic. I was also, which is interesting because I was a third child. I came into my parents' life in a time in my parents' life where their MO was very much relaxing and enjoying versus like my older sister, right? You come in, you have younger parents, you know, both working a lot. It's it's a different environment. So I think they took extra care in making sure I understood that just because I had entered their life in a period of relaxation that I didn't sort of adopt any of that. Mm. So my parents were very clear in encouraging me to be multidisciplinary and seeing things through to the end that I didn't enjoy, that I didn't necessarily enjoy mm. um, for the discipline of it, not, not, causing any torture, but like, you know, wanting to quit 
the baseball team shocker um, and saying, okay, you want to quit? So you have to do one more year of it, right? As opposed to just being able to drop it right there. Hmm. Um, and, you know, because they instilled that desire to be multidisciplinary in me, uh, by the time I turned 18, they were sort of able to send me to a music conservatory and understand that if music or theater didn't work out, I had the skills and the work ethic to figure out something else. So they got to sort of wave goodbye to me with full confidence that I was going to be okay. Mm. And that definitely came from them. I want to talk a little bit about your journey from performing to creating. Is there any particular moment in time that stands out to you where that began to change for you? What started to reveal itself in college was that I I love being a leader of teams and, and a manager of people. And I have a lot of respect for folks who are actors. But for me, I I don't want to lead in that spotlight in front of an audience. I want to lead in the room that creates that that vision. So actors are leaders of groups of 500 and 1,000 and 1,500 people on a stage. And I was into a different kind of leadership that was more into the machine building and, and the creation of everything. Was there a particular moment in recent history where you decided to make a full transition or, or do you want to do any more performing? I actually don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's it's kind of a, it's a very uh, harsh 180 journey for for me having come out of it so recently. I, I enjoy speaking about it, but I, it's kind of it's kind of harsh, you know, um, maybe a year into the pandemic. I just I got really frustrated with not being able to um, be in more control over my artistic future because I had, you know, coming up as an actor, being artistic was always it was always a gift. Like if you you audition to do it and if you get to do it, you're so lucky. And um, it was a huge source of joy in my life, the, the arts, and I wasn't getting provided those opportunities and I couldn't stand being kept from the thing that gave me so much of my happiness. And so I, I finally weighed this fact that I perform and I write. And I was like, man, one of those for me right now is a game of waiting and the other I can pivot and choose right now. Um, and that must have been about 12 months into the pandemic, like summer of 2021. And I really haven't looked back or thought about the auditioning world ever again. Never say never, but not today. I want to talk about mentors. Any standout lessons from any mentors uh, recently or further back in the past? Does anything come to mind? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to distill lessons from from mentors down into uh, one key phrase here or there. I'm I'm still I'm still very young, so mostly when these mentors have come into my life, not only they haven't just imparted like a sentence of wisdom, but they've really shaped who I am in ways that are almost intangible, right? So um, Noah Putterman, who I called out a moment ago, who used to run the children's theater program at Casa Manana, lovely regional theater in Fort Worth. Um, I worked with him for many, like six or seven years straight, and he was such a phenomenal mentor in that he just, he decided to give children the respect he would give adults in a theater setting and treat them as if they had fully formed functioning brains to make artistic choices and stuff like that. And um, the payoff was unreal. We did some amazing, amazing work down there. And he was so formative in teaching me how to carry myself in a room of adults when maybe I was 30 years the junior, right? Um so that was so, so critical. Um, and then obviously I went on to college and uh, Victoria Bussard, who runs the musical theater program at Baldwin Wallace University, was an absolutely wonderful mentor to me, even as she started to pick up on my transition away from performing into writing, um, you know, had a completely different uh, portfolio of things and, and advice to offer me when that switch occurred. 
Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about like tangible advice in in a second, but I have to say what's really been valuable for me when it comes to mentors is less the one-off advice and more just the support. You know, may everyone be so lucky to be 21 and have someone who's there to support them through pivots and changes. And it's really more valuable than advice could ever be. It's just getting support from someone in a position of power. And it can make all of the difference too, because most of it is just by monkey see monkey do. It's not until the time has passed that you realize back in time a little bit, oh yeah, they were a mentor to me. Is there a particular project that has taught you the most about yourself? Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll give some examples as an actor. Um, I'll, I'll pre- like, uh, preamble by saying that certainly the project that's taught me the most about myself is what I'm doing right now, writing never be King. Um, and I'm sure that I'll, I can get into that in a second. Um, but when I was about 14 years old, I did at what was at the time, the most professional production I'd ever done of parade Jason Robert Brown's parade. And, um, I got to play, you know, Frankie Epps around a group of people that were 10 million times more talented than myself and coming out of, you know, school theater, big fish, small pond. This was like big pond. And um, I just remember doing that show and the the meshing of the, the group of people and how we all got along and how we worked well with the director and the scenic folks and the lighting folks and the producer, just everyone off stage. The, the dynamic was so magical and seamless. And I remember sharing the experience with my mom and being like, oh, that, that was so wonderful. I got to do a show there again. And she actually warned me. She was like, you know, once every couple of years, we get an experience that's that special. And our downfall is going to be expecting that the next one is going to be just as special. And so I sort of in my career even have become obsessed with like what creates those special experiences because I want to recreate that for people as much as I can because I know that when those experiences happen, it's so magical. And I I remember every second of my life during those three weeks, and I have absolutely no idea what I did for the four months after that experience concluded, you know? Um, So, you know, that's less artistic and more just interpersonal, um, so formative. And I really like to dedicate myself to creating those moments. Um, I'll say quickly with, in terms of writing, um, I've learned a lot about myself through Never Be King because it's the first thing I've written that actually encourages my personal like Charlie voice to come forward um, because of the tone we've adopted, which I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a lot of the show really it should sound like it's coming from somebody like me and my, my, my age and my life experience. Um, and so actually like reckoning with myself on, on paper and putting unfiltered thoughts into a musical is really, really exciting and, and scary. And it's actually helped me come to terms with some of my Gen Z-ness and encouraging me to take myself less seriously for a very long time. I was always obsessed with like playing ball with folks who were older than me. And like I said, aging myself up in a room, but this show has made me say, that's not really my value. My value is being 25 and Gen Z and like serially on TikTok, you know what I mean? So Never Be King has helped me come to terms with um, my voice, my generation, and really living in that as opposed to trying to be something I'm not. Well, with these interpersonal relationships and essentially you know, recreating those feelings um, that you had from Parade, I- I'm wondering if we could first talk about Rayco Musicals and the creation of that company and then your journey to creating Never Be King. Absolutely. Yeah. So Rayco Musicals, is a uh, very, very small 
uh, what do you want to call it? Production company, writing factory. It's me and Sam. We write musicals. So my writing partner, Sam Columbus, who's obviously been on the show, um, we met in college when I was about halfway through writing um, our one of our prior shows, Freedom Summer. And I brought him in to write an orchestra. Actually, I'll tell the story. So we were both doing a production of West Side Story. I played the least important jet and he played the school teacher because he was actually pinch hitting for a faculty member who dropped out at the last second. So we were both like the least important people in West Side Story. And so they sat us together in the dressing room. He was doing a project analyzing um, the score of the music man. And I didn't really know what he was doing, but we were in the dressing room all the time. And I leaned over and asked, and he was examining the orchestrations with regards to um, how Harold Hill was represented by horns and brass and uh, Marion was represented by strings. And he was looking at Till There Was You and showing how the instruments came together as the first moment of unity in those characters' um, journeys. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, so a couple months later, we were supposed to perform a song. I got to perform an original song, hire an ensemble, get an orchestra together for a school event. And I needed an orchestrator. I was like, I can do that, but I've never heard somebody talk about orchestration like Sam has. So I pulled him in. He killed it. I asked him to orchestrate a second song from that show, Freedom Summer. Um, and then we sort of fully got attached uh, to each other as as creators and developed this process where if you if haven't heard me say it before, I um, Sam and I fully orchestrate and realize a song before it ever gets in the hand of actors. We both are from the camp that an orchestration is a character's inner life in a song. And why would you not do that work up front to hand to the people who are going to realize your creation to set them up for better success? Um, so that's our whole approach. So I write book music lyrics. Sam helps write the music, um, orchestrates and arranges the music. And then we're off and running from there. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 